Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. There's a topic that we've been wanting to do for a while, um, and then our friends over at JScreen told us that they were having a screening awareness week uh, to screen for genetic diseases, to screen for cancer, and they said, would we partner with them? So we love partnering with JScreen. They do great work. But then um, a celebrity went and made the topic of Jewish genes or Jewish race so trending right now, and so um, this makes today's conversation of, you know, are Jews a race or just a religion? Is there a Jewish gene? Um, such a fitting topic. And it's always good to, you know, talk about things that people are wondering about anyway. Uh, to answer this question, uh, we have some amazing people. Uh, the first guest is Dr. Paul Wolpe. He's the director of the Center of Ethics at Emory and he's uh, at Emory University. He's also the Raymond F. Shinazi Distinguished Research Chair in Jewish Bioethics. Um, and along with him, we have Karen Grinzade, the executive director of JScreen. So thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Okay, so before we get you talking about genes and Jewish genes and, you know, um, kind of how this all works out, could you give our listeners some info on your educational background? You know, what makes you qualified to talk on these topics? Okay, I'll begin. Um, so I am a bioethicist. I work on the in where ethics and medicine and biotechnology meet. I spent many, many years working on the ethics of genetics. Um, I also work on the ethics of neuroscience and AI these days. And um, I've also been involved for many, many years in Jewish studies. So where Jewish studies and genetics meet is a space that I've done a lot of reading, teaching, and writing. Amazing. And Karen? Uh, yeah, so I am a, a executive director of JScreen. My background is as a genetic counselor. I've been working at Emory University in genetics for over 30 years. And um, I'm focusing now on, on genetics in the Jewish community around uh, prevention of Jewish genetic diseases and, and cancer. And, and in those conversations, you know, we're, we're talking to people who maybe religious or not religious, but they do have a Jewish genetic background. And um, often these conversations come up. Excellent. Okay, so let's just jump right into, you know, I guess the topic that really started in the last few days, but I think people are thinking about right now. So um, I think Whoopi Goldberg stepped into <laughs> a not good thing when she claimed on The View last week that um, Jews are only religion, um, that, you know, we're not a race, um, that, you know, Nazis fighting Jews was white on white crime. Um, what do our genes tell us? Um, you know, is there a Jewish gene? Um, is this a white gene? Um, are we a race? If we could kind of, you know, start to unpack some of these questions. So I think people misunderstand the idea of race in the sense that the, I, the, the term race changes its meaning over time. Um, when you look back at the 19th century and the early 20th century, and if you look back even before that in Europe, race had a much looser meaning. People talked about you know, Italian blood or Greek blood. They thought that those kinds of what we think of now as just nationalities were encoded in people's physiology. So the Italians were a race, the Greeks were a race in those ways of thinking. And as you move into the 20th century, you see that too. If you look at, for example, the 1911 Encyclia 
Encyclopedia Britannica, which I used to assign to my class so that they could read the entries on things like Italians and Negroes, which was in there, and Jews. They spoke about it entirely differently than we would today. So I think that Whoopi Goldberg's mistake was to take a very 2022 American definition of race and impose that or reflect that back on a time that didn't think of race that way at all. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Um, now, the thing is that I think one of the questions that comes up is sort of around the census. Um, so, you know, talk about sort of Italian blood or Greek blood. Um, there is some sense that, you know, and again, this is sort of like a, a modern definition of race in America 2022. Um, you kind of have the black category, the brown category. Um, I mean, Jews are originally from a brown country. We are from the land of Israel. And so um, we've somehow gotten classified as white. And there certainly are uh, Jews that are white passing, but there are also Jews that are brown. So can we talk about, um, you know, why do we need genetic testing in the first place? You know, what is it about what do we have in common, at least Jews that are born Jewish, which are most Jews, obviously we have the option for converting. We have the option for, you know, joining our tribe. Um, But what does that mean to have Jewish genes? So when we do genetic testing, when we think about genetic risks in certain ethnic groups, we're, we're really looking at people that are coming from a certain part of the country. Um, And we're also looking at groups that have tended to intermarry, where maybe there was a a deleterious uh, change in the gene uh, that that can cause disease, for example, Tay-Sachs disease. And that happened in an individual, and then that individual went on to have children and grandchildren, and uh, then that community tended to intermarry. Maybe they were isolated by pogroms or other other uh, things that happened in history. And as those people continue to marry each other, these genes start matching up. So you have Tay-Sachs carriers that go on to have a a child with Tay-Sachs. And this is the same for for different ethnic groups and African-American sickle cell disease and Italians thalassemias or other blood diseases. And so we're really looking at genetic background and things that have happened within that group that are, that are increasing a risk for genetic disease. Okay, so when you say um, African-American or Italian, I think what that does answer is that there's not a Catholic gene, there's not a, you know, a Muslim gene or a, a Buddhist gene. Um, there's an, there are Italian genes where people within the same you know, nationality married each other, lived together for a long time and tend to pass on certain genetic, uh, I guess, problems uh, through their their genes. So does that make the Jewish people more of like a nation similar to Italians or Greeks? Is that sort of one way that we could look at it? So it doesn't sort of fit into race only being about, you know, how light or how dark you are, but more of like a nation. Does that make sense? Right. It's it's the part and I'll let Dr. Wolpe answer as well, but it's it's really where this group came from. Um, and so even, for example, within the within Jewish communities, if we looked at genetic risk in Ashkenazi Jews, those risks are going to be different. It's for different diseases than, than Sephardic groups. And even within Sephardic communities, it really depends on country of origin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a, a Sephardic Jew that, that has an ancestry back in Yemen versus Morocco, they're going to have different genetic risks. So yes, this is this is where 
people came from and not Jews as, as a as a group. Okay, so for practical purposes, if we get back to sort of the, you know, cancer screening or the genetic screening, um, you do need to, you know, have specificity for where your family's from. But now let's go to sort of the broader Jewish gene uh, question. I know Dr. Harry Oster um, wrote a book about sort of a more overarching Jewish gene. Dr. Wolpe, is that something that you could talk about? That even though we do hear sort of um, when people do their 23s and me's, they, you know, find out that they have a certain percentage of Ashkenazi blood. Mm-hmm. Well, what about like the Jewish gene that Dr. Oster found? So we're talking about the Jews as what we would call a, a religio ethnic group. That means we have both a religious component and then we also have an ethnic component. And by that ethnic component, we mean a certain degree of genetic relatability. So, um, but, but remember, because there is an enormous amount of, of, of non-related genes that come into the Jewish gene pool, pool, whether it's through intermarriage, whether it's through other kinds of, of um, pregnancies that happen sometimes through rape, sometimes just through affairs, it could be anything. We don't have a pure, there's no such thing as a pure Ashkenazi Jew anyway. There's a lot of variation in that gene pool. But one of the great discoveries, um, as we know, the, the claim of Jews on Ashkenazi, Sephardi, Mizrahi, it doesn't matter, is that there's a subgroup of us that are Kohanim, that are priests. And um, that's been a claim that is passed down in the male line for generation to generation. There was no way to prove whether we did that with great fidelity or not until recently. Um, and what was discovered was that within the group of first Ashkenazic Jews that, that considered themselves Kohanian, there was something called the Kohen haplotype, which was a particular genetic profile or marker that was far more common in that group than in Ashkenazic Jews who did not consider themselves Kohanim or any other group um, on earth, really, which according to the geneticists indicated that this group could trace a, a male line. And when they did the analysis, that male line originated exactly in the time period that we believed that um, the priestly clan Abraham uh, would have lived. So there's this incredible genetic evidence that in fact, from the origin of the priestly class back in biblical times, there has been remarkable fidelity. Now that doesn't mean it's hundred percent, right? It's just much higher in that group than others. So that shows that there is a gene that really seems to hold up the story of at least the Kohanim amongst the Ashkenazi Jews. Oh, and but for the Sephardic Jews, it does not hold up? Oh, I'm sorry. And, and then they, they tested it was true in the Sephardic Jews. And so, for example, just as a really quick, interesting thing, there's a group uh, many people have heard of called the Lemba, who are a Black African group who claim ancestry, uh, Jewish ancestry, and they um, do a lot of Jewish rituals. They have Torahs, they pray, they, they fulfill some Jewish holidays, and they have a group within them that they call the Buba, who are their priestly group, and they tested high for the Kohen haplotype, which shows that their story of having Jewish ancestry is probably true. 
That's fascinating. So even as possibly trying to find some lost tribes through uh, genetic searching could possibly open up. And how about have they tested also um, the B'nai Menasha, the, the Jews of India? I mean, ha how far um, have these tests looking for the Kohen gene gone? Yes, they've tested almost all those groups. Um, they have not found it uh, in the B'nai Menasha the way they did in the Lemba. Got it. Um, okay, so this is really interesting. Um, now, when I mean, the, and I'll just to sort of talk about the religious side of what a Kohen has to do, he cannot marry a convert. Um, he really has to be careful about who he's marrying. So in terms of kind of keeping that lineage, I don't want to say pure, because that sounds really bad when you talk around race, but in terms of sort of keeping it, I guess, genetically Jewish, um, that's an interesting, you know, way to sort of hold up. Did the, you know, this idea that we put out in terms of Jewish law carry over? And is there this original um, connection? What about ties to um, the Middle East? Is there a way, can our genes talk to us about um, our you know, origin in, uh, in the Levant? Yes, and they, and they do. The Kohen haplotype origin is Middle Eastern. Mm -hmm. And what about there's this, um, I mean, when you go on the internet, you meet all sorts of crazy people. There's this Kuzari theory that uh, Jews are not real Jews, that uh, we, you know, stole the, you know, the Jewishness from, I guess maybe it's the black Hebrew Israelites. They're the real ones. And we kind of came in with uh, the Kuzars. And um, the crazy thing is that like, we both have the intergenerational trauma and then we get it, get gaslit. So we, it doesn't even belong to us. We both get in trouble for being Jewish and then also don't get to uh, claim actually being Jewish. What about the Kuzari theory? So this this is evidence against that theory, and you know most Jewish historians don't accept that theory. But this, if that were true, we should not have the Kohen haplotype. So um, we shouldn't be able to trace a group that we consider to be um, priests within our own group all the way back to the Levant and, and three thousand years ago. Um, but I do want to say one other thing, and this is really important for the kinds of work that Karen does, and that is. The Jews were always receptive to and accepting of people from the outside, those who wanted to convert, you know, they, they were barriers, but they could convert and they were accepted in and there, were, as you know, all kinds of rules and laws um, saying that we should not consider the gear, you know, uh, uh, we should not in any way point out or emphasize or, or treat them differently. So we never thought of ourselves as a genetic group or we would not have let in people from the outside. That was always a part of it because we had a tribal history, but it isn't really what defines us. And I think sometimes we make the mistake of thinking it does. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. I, I mean, obviously Jews uh, look in more than one way and, you know, you can't, on one hand, you can't spot a Jew. On the other hand, my grandmother used to say he's got the map of Israel written all over his face. So there's sometimes a certain something that does, you know, seem very Jewish, like Joy Bahar. She's not Jewish, but she seems very Jewish. And I wonder, is there really Jewish blood somewhere? Like what happened in Italy to her family? That I just have to wonder about, uh, you know, things like that. And yet there are people that are 100% Jewish have always been, and you wouldn't necessarily, you know, guess that they were. Um, what about, is there any way to tell in terms of like Mizrahi, Sephardic, Ashkenazi, is there one group that sort of stayed more within themselves and had less mixing of, of outside, you know, blood or genes or that sort of a thing? What, what do the genes say about that? I, I was going to say the, you know, from a genetic standpoint, the Ashkenazi Jewish population is a more homogeneous group. Mm -hmm. uh, 
we're going to if we're going to do genetic testing on on various groups, you know, we know that we have a set of diseases that are much more common in that population. Whereas in Sephardic groups, like I said, this there's, there's more variation. But I don't know if Dr. Wolby wanted to add to that. I, I think that's right because the Ashkenazic Jews. So there's something called the founder effect, which shows that um, Ashkenazic Jews today are all descended from a, a genetic bottleneck, a period around the 13th century when the Jews um, were reduced to a relatively small number. I've heard 13,000 or so that all modern Ashkenazic Jews are, are descended from. So they have that in common. But when you look at the Sephardic history, Sephardic communities were isolated in their particular North African countries or Western European countries, and they were relatively isolated from each other, while the Ashkenazic Jews tended to be all bunched together in one geographical location. So that's why you have different groups and communities of Sephardic Jews that are more genetically distinct than you do of Ashkenazic Jews. Right. Uh, I also wanted, oh, sorry, Allison. I was gonna say, I, and I wanted to point out that when we do genetic testing through J-Screen, uh, what we do is we, we offer a panel of genetic diseases that really kind of cover all bases. So wh whether you have Ashkenazi, Sephardic, Mizrahi, non-Jewish background, that we're really doing a broad panel to cover you regardless, because we often don't know our background. Uh, there, there are people who've converted, there are people who, even coming out of the Holocaust, who don't even know that they have Jewish ancestry. And we wanna make sure that we're, that we're covering our bases. So something that sort of come up again, because I feel like this topic of Jews um, becoming white uh, in the last few years. And I really think that the reason that Jews have been written out of this conversation is that we're kind of getting lumped as a privileged group and sort of our whole history of persecution is being erased. And that's why, although, as you noted, we never saw ourselves as sort of this like genetically pure group. I think it does <clears throat> matter for us to, you know, keep on reminding people that we don't have the white experience. We don't have the white privileged Christian experience. We have been persecuted and expelled and thrown out and every place that we've lived. An interesting thing that's come up for me is that I'm Ashkenazi as far back as, as far as I know. And yet my skin is brown. My skin is darker my whole life, even in the winter. I've always had a browner skin to the point that um, people have asked me, where are you from? Why is your skin so dark? You know, implying that I have some sort of ethnic or exotic background, which sort of led me to this question of um, why is it that we only classify Sephardic or Mizrahi Jews as brown, whereas if your family got sort of expelled to Russia or Ukraine or Poland like mine did, um, why did I lose that classification? Um, so I know that there's some, I've heard in some cases there's talk of, well, there were some Sephardic Jews that got pushed into Ashkenazi country, so maybe you're secretly Sephardic. But, you know, for someone like me that's carrying these darker, you know, brown uh, genes in my skin, and by the way, of my parents, they're like the brown babies with fair-skinned siblings. Um, in my family, I'm the brown baby and fair-skinned siblings of four kids. I had one brown son and the other ones are fair-skinned. So sort of how does that um, happen in terms of genetics? Well, first of all, I mean, go to Israel and just walk through the streets. You see Jews of every shade. You know, you'll see very dark Jews from, from uh, you know, Ethiopia and you'll see brown skin Jews. I mean, the entire spectrum of what we think of now as race. Again, race is a social construct. Race is not a biological idea 
Um, and that's why I'm a scientist and I get grants from NIH. And you can't use race as a biological variable. You can only use it as a social variable in your research because they don't accept it as a biological phenomenon. So we construct and reconstruct what we think about race all the time. South Africa had four categories of race um, that they used to, to uh, discriminate against the categories they didn't like. Um, so skin tone, you know, Karen can speak about this better than I can, but skin tone has a genetic component, but, it's, but it has lots of elements that contribute to that genetic component. So, you know, it isn't just a, it isn't just a straight, you know, a, a person with brown skin will have children that all have that same shade of skin. That's not how, how it works. And also living in, uh, you know, Ukraine or Poland for a hundred years, if my family before that did have, uh, you know, the connection to the Levant, that wouldn't be enough necessarily to lighten the skin of, of the genes of my family. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, do you see what I'm saying? That the classification of Sephardic must be brown because you have light skinned Sephardic Jews and blonde Sephardic Jews and Ashkenazi must be white. That's also just not a, a complete um, sort of way of categorizing. Yeah, I just I wanted to point out that in terms of skin tone, when you talk about even within siblings, you know, you have people that are lighter skinned or darker skinned. I mean, really, the genetics of that is that this is just determined by a number of different pigment genes. And depending on what that child's inherited, you know, they, they might be lighter or darker, you know, even within the same family. So, um, but, uh, you know, to answer the question about, you know, why Sephardic Jews are thought of as, as brown versus white. Um, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's that, you know, the a majority of people are darker skin within the community. And I don't know, maybe Dr. Wolpe. Well, I think it's again, historical. I mean, in the United yeah. States, we think of Sephardic Jews as the ones that come from North Africa. So they're going mm -hmm. to have a darker, a history of darker skin, but they, Sephardic Jews, as Karen says, have a range of pigmentation and Ashkenazic Jews have a range of pigmentation. Human beings have this desire to categorize each other. And because one of the most obvious, quick and easy things we see, maybe next only to gender, is skin color when we meet someone, that just becomes a very convenient way to try to create categories. And it's caused no end of problems in the mo modern day, never mind in older times. Um, and we struggle with it, especially with the history of how we think about race in this country but also in Europe. I mean, they're struggling with it all over Europe, even today. Um, and so, uh, and the legacy of it, even if they don't think of Jews as a race in parts of Europe, the fact that throughout most of their history, they did still has resonance today in the way in which they think of Jews as other. So um, it's a very powerful human idea, uh, categorizing people other than yourself in some ways that distances them from you. Totally. I don't know if this has ever been done before, if it's possible to do, but another thing that I got thinking about recently, because I'm sort of thinking about how the Jewish people fit into these kind of race conversations, you know, what we have in common, what's different about us. I saw a black woman writing about the fact that her skin was lighter because violence was done to her great, great grandmother. And I got to thinking about, we always talk about intermarriage conversion, but we don't really talk about the blood libels, the pogroms, the the um, the crusades, 
Um, in my family, there's people in the family that have more of an Asian look and there's sort of talk of, you know, Mongolian rape. Um, has anyone ever tried to map out like, I don't know, different um, pogroms or sort of violence against Jews in different generations and spotting, you know, sort of outside genes mixing in? I'm not sure if that's even an exercise that could be done, but that's something that, you know, I'm certainly thinking about now. I don't know if it's ever been done. I mean, I think Karen perhaps can say more about this than I can, but I will just say that, um, you know, that's always been part of Jewish history going back even, you know, before modern times. And what was so interesting about, for example, the Kohen haplotype was it found the commonality. That's the unusual thing is to find our commonality, not to find our difference. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and I yeah, I just wanted to, you know, before we end, I just I, I wanted to point out again that, you know, based on background, if we're talking about genetics, that you know, it's really important that people realize that, um, you know, within the Jewish community, there are high risks for genetic diseases, depending on your background, not only for diseases in, in our children, but also for cancer, for hereditary cancers, and uh, that looking into um testing to to be proactive about your health and your family's health is really, really important for this community. So does it make sense just to sort of end on that note, um, because we do want to give a shout out to Jay Screen again. Um, does it make sense to just understand what your genetic makeup is to make sure that you're as Ashkenazi as you think, or as Sephardic or as Mizrahi as you think, and then based on that, do the screening panel that's the most appropriate? So I'm going to say genetic testing is important for everybody, regardless of their background. And before you have kids, it's important to do a broad panel that'll capture all of those risks. Uh, Ancestry testing is interesting, uh, but I I think that everybody needs to just have this um, predictive uh, genetic testing. So if you go in and you say, I'm Jewish, they're just going to give you, Jason's going to give you the entire panel and what comes back. Regardless of your background, everybody gets the same over 200 disease. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. That's good to clarify. You want to say something else, Dr. Wolfie? I was just going to make that point because I didn't think it had been made. You know, back in the early days of testing, there were specific panels targeted at specific backgrounds. But just in the time that Karen and I have been working together, it's been remarkable to see the advances in genetic testing and the sophistication of the testing and how many different tests can be put together into one panel. So now it, it doesn't matter as much what your background is. You know, you can get tested for the for this enormous number of genetic diseases. And I really encourage people to do it before preconception testing. When my daughter got married, I gave it to her as a gift, as one of my gifts was, uh, you know, the, the, I signed her up and, and paid for a test. It's just something that I think it's, uh, Jews need to do this in order to keep the, you know, the population healthy. Healthy and safe. And Karen, can you give us the link of where our listeners should go? Yes, jscreen.org, and all the information is there, both about this reproductive genetic testing and also cancer genetic testing. Okay, all right. Well, those people who are listening, hope you found this conversation interesting for sort of current events and, you know, kind of how we think of ourselves as Jews, how we explain ourselves to the world, and then also just an important call to action, uh, get screened before you have children, 
uh, seriously consider getting screened for cancer. Um, the, the, we've mentioned this before, but the cancer screening that JScreen does is done with a genetic counselor and they don't screen you for anything to just become neurotic and worried about. The things that they screen you for are things that have actionable uh, you know, solutions to, and um, it, it makes sense. And we actually had uh, another bioethicist on, a rabbi, uh, Dr. Jason Weiner, to talk about um, the importance in Jewish law to be prepared and make sure to keep yourself safe. Um, so thank you so much for this uh, fascinating conversation, really timely. Um, and we wish you uh, continued success in all of your wonderful work. Thanks for having us, Allison. Thanks, Allison. And thanks for listening. You can catch the same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.